0: morning everyone if you have a bible would you like to turn to john's gospel if you don't have a bible with you that's fine you can look on the screen behind me and the the verses that we look up will will show there going to be in john chapter 6 and uh, in a term where we're putting the focus on jesus it's always on jesus really isn't it but uh as a reminder uh, for all of us, that really it's all about him. And it's so encouraging uh, just to have uh, Chris Frost with us from Leeds last, last week, looking at how uh, a few chapters earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus uh, met a woman at a well, just revealed who he was and God's love to her in such a wonderful way. Uh, as we go through the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a few other things from John's Gospel. Uh, there, seven times there are, Uh, occasions where Jesus says, I am, and we're going to look at the first one today, I am the bread of life. Now, I am might not sound like remarkable uh, words particularly. It's just a a typical way of introducing ourselves, isn't it? If we don't know somebody, I am Daniel. I am 5 foot 11. I am ginger. I am balding. Um, It's just sharing facts about ourselves. We learn about Jesus and who he is by what other people said about him in John's Gospel. So those words that Richard looked at us with uh, a couple of weeks ago, in the beginning was the Word. That's who, If you want to know who Jesus is, he's the Word of God. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A man called Nathanael meets with Jesus, and Jesus reveals uh, kind of supernatural knowledge about Nathaniel. He goes, Rabbi, you're a teacher, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. So we learn about Jesus by what other people said about him as they realised who he was. We, re- we learn about Jesus by seeing what he said himself and he gets a reaction. If we look at what Jesus said about himself, we can't just stay with the opinion that he was a good man, that he was just a good teacher, that he was just another prophet some today might say that he was a uh, he was a faith healer one of many impressive in a way but just another good guy we we can't rest with that decision either he is the son of god and the only way to relationship with him and eternal life either he is god in the flesh or he is crackers an evil nut job to be ignored by virtue of what he said about himself. And we see that when Jesus spoke to the crowds, often he really polarised their opinion. They might come thinking, here's a good man, I might follow him, another rabbi, maybe he's got something to teach me. And we'll see even in this passage today that some are drawn to him as much more than that, and some turn away in disgust. Jesus wasn't just saying some, some ordinary things about himself when he chose to say, I am. I am the bread of life. There's a key point in in John's gospel a few chapters further on. Read the passage in a minute, don't worry. Uh, In John chapter 8, he's having a conversation with some Jews, with some people who've been listening to him, interested in what he has to say, trying to work out, who is he? And he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. Startling. Abraham had lived thousands of years earlier. How could he say that before Abraham was? But you'd expect the the comment just to be, before Abraham was, I was there. But he doesn't even say that, he says, I am. He's provoking them to realise that the one before them now speaking is God himself. Come down. You know, Moses, a few years after Abraham, Moses was out on a mountain, I had this amazing experience. God was getting his attention. How did God do that? Well, Moses saw a bush, and the bush was aflame. Flames were in the bush. The bush started to talk as well, which is also quite remarkable. But he sees this bush a flame, but he can see that it's not burning up. It's not kind of withering away. It's, it's, not, it's not turning to charcoal or something. It's not, it's not burning up. And then God starts to speak to him and gives him a mission to go to Egypt because God wants to rescue his people. Moses asks, well, who should I say sent me? What's your, if I don't know your name, how can I say who has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them that the I am has sent you. So God gives himself that name, doesn't describe himself as an, in another way, Well, I'm slightly taller than somebody else, I'm slightly shorter, shorter than them. So, I, I am. God, the Almighty, reveals himself in that way. Now, it's kind of a phrase that we might use. Uh, I even saw it on a billboard a few months ago. It, it's kind of a phrase that, because we're just so focused on our, ourselves, on being an individual on our uniqueness and so on. I am who I am, no one else can define me. No, no, it's God who says that. It's God who says, I am who I am, no one else defines me. I am ginger, I am bald, I am five foot eleven. There's no getting around that. I can't pretend otherwise. God is the one who says, I am. Jesus then gave himself... That is his name as well, that description. So let's read together. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will. Of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, "I am the bread that came down from heaven." They said. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me no one has seen the father except the one who is from god only he has seen the father i tell you the truth he who believes has everlasting life i am the bread of life your forefathers ate the manna in the desert yet they died but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh Will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So here we have it. Jesus speaking to a group of people interested in trying to work out who he is, and he, he declares, I am the bread of life. There's a, a three points I'd like to bring out. We're going to look at how God loves the hungry, how God tests the grateful and how god satisfies the believing god firstly god loves the hungry bread itself is is so it's an essential isn't it you might say it's a it's a basic it's a an essential for life which culture around the planet does not have some form of bread that is baked for life we we use the word or the phrase breadline to refer to those who have enough to live and those who don't have enough to live. If you, if you are if you're on the breadline, then you're in this dangerous position where you may not have enough. You know if you're above the breadline, if your primary concern when you sit down to eat something is, do I like the flavor? Do I like what it tastes like? Is this one of my favorites? I remember having this as a child. Uh, sometimes money was a bit tight, but I guess this story demonstrates we were fine. Um, because there was one recipe, my mum's fantastic cook, but there was one recipe that I just couldn't really stomach. A particular version of sausage casserole. And uh, as six-year-old or seven-year-old me had to learn the hard way, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. There are two options, or well, there weren't even two options. The joke goes, you can take it or leave it. I couldn't leave it. You'll stay at the table until you've finished your dinner, but I don't like it. don't like the taste. There was something about that sausage casserole which was mighty peculiar. I've never quite managed to put my finger on it, but years later, I was the youngest of four, years later when we've all grown up, Certain members of the family want to take a trip down memory lane. Mum, make the sausage casserole you used to make. We loved it. So I warned them. Really, guys, it wasn't all that. Mum, your cooking's amazing, but something wasn't quite right with that sausage casserole. Anyway, outvoted again. We take the trip down memory lane and have sausage casserole. Lo and behold, nobody liked it. (laughs) I was vindicated in that moment. Why didn't you listen? (laughs) Just goes to show we had a comfortable life. We know we've got a comfortable life. If our main concern is, does it taste nice? I remember my grandfather uh, would always pray before every meal the the same prayer. Lord, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us, may the Lord make us, may the Lord make us truly grateful. And I think that was his way of saying to the Lord, thank you for providing. And I think it may have been his way of saying to us, nobody's going to complain right now. But maybe a generation that went through a world, well, he was born in one world war, he was, lived, lived through a second world war, maybe that generation Became very grateful. It's like, it doesn't matter if we don't like the taste, we've we've got enough to eat. God cares for the hungry, God cares for those who don't have. Sometimes my concern is again, maybe it's not about whether the food tastes nice, maybe it's about how it was presented a garnish. Where's the kind of sprig of parsley? Where's the decoration? Bread is absolutely it's an essential. My, uh, in our cupboard we have a jar. It has our favourite pickle in. That pickle is called aubergine pickle. You can't get it everywhere. but It's really nice. bit spicy. Any opportunity I'm adding aubergine pickle to other things. It, it's in the sandwiches. But here's what I've learned. I, I cannot live on aubergine pickle. It's <laughs> We live on, on, it's so fundamental, bread. In this passage here, recently, Jesus has spent days with a big crowd of people and they have nothing to eat, they have nothing with them. And uh, we see in chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Sees a big crowd crowd of hungry people what does jesus reveal about god he reveals god's love god's compassion god's care for the hungry his desire then is to provide is to give something uh, to eat we have a a food bank as a church for this very reason because god cares that people have enough god cares Bread represents life. Aubergine pickle is just a tiny bit of a flavor. Bread is life. I want to give these people something to eat. And you might know the story that uh, there's a little boy and he has um, a few loaves and just a couple of fish. That's all they have between them. 5,000 men plus women plus children. And absolutely Nothing. Jesus takes it, looks up to heaven, breaks it, gives thanks for it, starts to distribute it amongst the crowd. Why? Because he wants them all to have something to eat. They have their fill. Jesus does an incredible miracle, multiplying food because God cares for the hungry. God loves those in need. That's what this reveals to us. But what else? Because by the time we come to the passage that I just read and we we listen into the conversation that's happening. We see that the crowd, or many of the crowd, have found Jesus again. Jesus had got into a well, he hadn't actually got into a boat. He walked on water, found the boat that his disciples were on, got to the other side. People have made a mad dash around the outside of the lake and eventually have caught up with Jesus. When did you get here? They say. Maybe missing the fact that Jesus has just walked across the water. Maybe they should have been asking, How did you get here? But they've had some food Jesus has provided for their needs. So we're going to stay with him. This is a cushy number. If we stay with him, we're fine. We've got food all the time. So they had their fill of food and now they come back to Jesus. And Now, though Jesus still loves the hungry, is still full and overflowing with compassion, he actually tests them. They're grateful, I guess that their tummies have been filled. And so they track Jesus down again, but he starts to test them. I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval they come to him again just looking for food he says change your focus they have an appetite for for good things I guess we all have an appetite we're all created with an appetite uh, for food if that appetite isn't satisfied we're hungry we have a, an appetite for water if that's not satisfied we're, we're thirsty We have an appetite for sleep, which is how we're made. And if we don't have enough of that, then we're tired. We have an appetite for relationship and friendship, and if we don't have enough of that, then we're lonely. We're we're made, we're wired with with appetites. Those aren't bad. Now Jesus is saying saying to them, is there not something else other than food that you're hungry for? Because we're also made with an appetite for God. And if we don't have Him, and if we don't really know Him, then we're lost. Whether we realize it or not, Jesus is saying to them, Don't, don't just have an appetite for good things. Don't just have an ap- don't just think about your stomach. Don't just think about this life. Don't just think about what you want naturally, in the here and now. Oh, what I would give for a decent night's sleep. Oh, what I would give for a promotion. Oh, what I would give for a few more friends. Oh, what would I give for, uh, for the best grades. Sometimes, God tests us by giving us what we want. By giving us what we think we need the most. Almost to say, are you, are you prematurely satisfied? Is that all you're seeking. Maybe we are seeking the Lord, just wanting a few practical needs met. C.S. Lewis wrote this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. Are we, are we too easily pleased? Are you too easily pleased? What, what are you hungry for really? Are you, are you hungry for more of God? Don't be prematurely satisfied with a God who might satisfy your hunger or help you find a relationship. But seek him. Let's not just have an appetite for good things. Let's not just have an appetite for good works. Jesus challenges them on this as well. They asked him, what must we do? In verse 28, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus has just said, on, on the Son of Man, God has put the seal of approval. Well, what must we do? to earn the, the stamp of approval. If, if you can change just a few loaves into enough to feed a massive crowd and have some left over, how can we do that? How can, how can we do what the works God requires? What must we do? Maybe we have an appetite for good works. And again, Jesus is saying to them, don't, don't just think about what you can achieve. Maybe they want to be like Jesus without believing in Him. And we too can focus on what we think we should do. Duties and obligations, trying to earn God's favor. Maybe we can think or focus on a desire to be successful. I want to make something of myself. Joking with someone recently who was uh, slightly nervously approaching their 30th birthday. I'm not sure I helped them or not. But, ah, 30, it's, it's no big deal really. It's when you get to 33 and you realise you're the same age as Jesus. That's what well, he made it in the flesh. Jesus made it up to 33. Oh Lord, I remember turning 33. What have I achieved? What have I done with my life? I've not saved the planet yet. Of course I haven't. You know, we're so ready, aren't we, to, to kind of put the focus on ourselves. Oh God, I'm pursuing you. Help me make more out of myself. Maybe, if we're honest, we'd be thinking, Lord, help me to impress other people. Oh, that a crowd would gather to me and my ministry. Five thousand. Five meetings in the Jubilee Centre every Sunday. We get distracted Maybe, maybe some of us here are frustrated that our life hasn't had greater impact. We were hoping for something a bit bigger and a bit more significant, a bit more history-shaping. Again, the, our, our nations, our, our cultures focus on, on the individual forgetting God, forgetting the God who said, I am who I am the great I am, forgetting the great I am, we can just so focus on, on, on me and my life, we're trying to make something out of it. What Jesus is saying here, no, the focus here is not on what you can achieve, it's on what I'm going to achieve. The focus here is not on what you can achieve, it's on what you choose to believe. And Jesus told a story of, uh, of the sheep and the goats, A uh, a king kind of separating the two groups. Talking about what will happen at the end of time. And he'll speak to the righteous, those who have believed. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. When, When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. What are they right to say? When did we do that, Lord? When did we see you and give you something to eat? Whatever you did for the least of my brothers, you did for me. That's heaven's perspective. I didn't do very much, just gave that person something to eat. Now, what you did for that person, you did for me. Welcome into eternal glory with me. Maybe we can miss the significant things, the things that register for heaven. Good works are involved, but they're not the focus. Our focus is on what we have received by faith from Jesus. Living a life from there, yet there will be good works that the Lord has prepared for us to do. But Jesus is saying, don't just have an appetite for good works. Don't just try and be a better person. Don't just try and save the planet. There's lots of people trying to save the planet who don't believe in Jesus. How much good ultimately will be achieved by people running away from Jesus trying to do a lot? Jesus challenges them again, tests them again, because they have an appetite for more miracles. Now, we have a desire to see God demonstrate his glory. It's wonderful, just last weekend, aware of, 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 in the morning and in the evening, two people being prayed for and saying, I'm healed. In the moment, experiencing God heal in the name of Jesus. Right there, it happened, and downstairs in our family night as well. Someone just piped up straight away and said, I've just been praying and it's, it's fine now. This is amazing. Oh, you want to see God... Glorified, and yet our desire is to pursue God, not just be desiring miracles. That's the card that these guys pull out. What miraculous sign in verse 30? Then will you give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Maybe that's their way of saying well, Jesus, you're special, but you're not that special. You've given us a bit of food for one day, but Moses did it for 40 years. Every day there was manna. If you want to do something special, if you want us to believe in you, you're going to have to buck up your ideas. You're going to have to do something that is as significant as that. In other words, they're never, quite, they're never satisfied. Enough was ne- never enough. They've just had a miraculous meal. Jesus has just walked across water. In addition to everything else, what else are you going to do? Because we don't, we don't quite trust in you yet. And there can be that, hungering for God, desiring something more, sensing there's something more in life, but, but always wanting more evidence, never quite satisfied. What else are you going to do, Lord? You answered that prayer, but what next? If you want me to believe in you. And Jesus cuts through that as well. Maybe he comes to us sometimes and also tests us by, by asking, is, is there something that is more important to you than knowing God himself? Is there someone else that's more special than Jesus in your life? What are we pursuing? What's our appetite for? Is it for God himself or is it the things that he dishes out? God tests us sometimes tests us even when we get exactly what we want. I am healed. This is amazing. But we're not just to pursue him only for those moments. What we see here as well is that God satisfies the believers, the believing. Jesus said to them in verse 32, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They're still kind of thinking is still orientated around their stomach. That sounds great, give us more. What's cooking? Jesus declared to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What a promise. What an opportunity. You know, we can have, we could have everything this world can offer. Just picture for a moment, if you, if you could have everything you heart, your hearts desire in this life, you know, what, what car would be on the drive? What food would you be about to eat? Where would you be going on your next holiday? Who could you name drop into a conversation? If you could have everything your hearts desire. We could have everything our hearts desired and still be spiritually malnourished. Jesus doesn't promise a trouble-free life. He's not saying at this point, you'll you'll never be peckish. You'll, You'll never go without. He's not promising that. He's saying, But what I have for you is eternally satisfying. This is satisfying forever. Time and time again, he encourages the faith. Believe in me. The Father will not drive you away. Sometimes giving our lives to God, it could seem like the most scary, unknown thing to do. What is life going to be like if I actually... Give my life to Jesus. If I agree that it is all about Jesus, if I, if I take that step, if I put my faith in him, what's life going to look like? It's going to be eternally safe. This is the safest thing you can do, is give your life to Jesus. Only he can give eternal life. You know, it's possible we might experience hunger, famine even in this life, uh, but know the eternal love that God has for us in Christ. In, uh, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine Is he saying you'll never experience trouble or hardship or persecution or famine? Don't think so. He's saying those things will never separate us from the love of God. We might have a little bit of trouble in this life. If we believe in Jesus, there will be no trouble in the next life. And the next life is eternal. And even now, the promise is coming to him and still having a taste of eternal life right now. Maybe some of you are tasting suffering. Maybe some of you have tasted persecution. Maybe some of you have fled for your lives and not had anything to eat for days. You know what it is to, to taste bitterness in life. But knowing Jesus, knowing God, means being sustained, a sweetness that cuts through. Knowing Christ, fellowship with God and his almighty, amazing love. Knowing that now and knowing that for eternity. Those listening to Jesus that day started to grumble. They took offense. Notice that, that Jesus doesn't soften what he said. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, let me change the analogy. Um, uh, sorry if that wasn't clear. Let me, let me try and explain this again. No, Jesus hasn't made a mistake. If anything, he makes it more forceful. I'm the bread of life. Eat me. When he speaks about his, his flesh and his blood, he's, going to show, he's showing them, I'm going to give my life. So that you can know true life. I'm going to die in your place so that you can have eternity and forgiveness. So, how do we respond to Him as we get ready to wrap up? Jesus is the bread of life. So, what, you might be asking? Well, the first answer to that question, so what, is this come to Jesus that's what he said verse 35 I'm the bread of life he who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty come to him believe in him receive him don't take don't put the focus on what you have to do to earn his favor all you have to do to receive his favor is to believe that Jesus is the son of God And he died on the cross for your sin so that you might have a relationship with God that lasts forever in this life and the next. Believe in him, then you receive the right to be a child of God. I was, uh, my brother in law texted me this week. You know how kind of predictive text can sometimes throw up some funny curveballs, some funny phrases? He said, he just texted and said, Dan, can I ask for a potential flavour? Maybe some of you right here, hearing the promise of Jesus, hearing the words of Jesus, there is before you a potential flavour. That flavour is the flavour of true life, the flavour of eternal life. Are you going to come to him to receive it, to taste it, to know it? The flavour of forgiveness. Wow, I didn't imagine it would taste like that. That is so sweet. The flavour of eternal acceptance. I'm never going to drive you away. Whatever else has happened in other relationships, however you've been treated elsewhere, when you felt loved and then people turned away from you, with the Lord that will never happen. might experience some hardship, but God will be committed to to being with you all this life and the next on every single step. Whoever comes to me, the Father's drawing that person. If the Father's drawing you and you come to him, he will never turn you away. He will never drive you out. So much rejection swirls around in this life. There's none of it in glory. And your heavenly Father will never do it to you. Come to him. Savour the flavour of real life. Come to Jesus. Secondly, feast on Jesus. Feed on him. There's a psalm that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. What? What happens if you taste food that you really like? I've been told I eat a bit too quickly. I've gobbled it all up and I haven't really savoured the flavour. But spiritually, in your faith, if you have already come to Jesus in the way that I've just described, are are you kind of just nibbling now? Too easily satisfied, just taking the odd nibble now again, a spiritual snack, here or there, not going overboard. Now, if you're savoring the flavor, then you just kind of want to keep eating, don't you? Just a bit more. Loads of different flavors, loads of different tastes. This, we are not to feed on Jesus like an occasional tracker bar. We just pick it out for an emergency. You know, that school trip, and it's not lunchtime yet, but as soon as you get on a bus, you get hungry. It's just the rule. It's just the norm. Jesus is my tracker bar. I just take a bite when I'm desperate. No. Let's not. Let's not be a people who are just occasionally snacking on Jesus. Keep savouring, keep chewing. You might be thinking, but you know, at the moment, life, new baby, whatever's going on. Sometimes I am just grabbing things here and there. Good. Don't get sucked back into that way of thinking what must I do to achieve stuff for God Jesus says you know we can't live on bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father that means every word has life it's not about us trying to impress God with how much we can get through I've been told I should feast don't just choke and give yourself indigestion Maybe you're reading through the Bible. Maybe you're kind of, oh, you're so hungry. You're eating loads. You're getting through loads of his word. You're, or maybe you're just frequently coming back and chewing over the same thing. You know what I heard this morning? Oh, Jesus is the bread of life. Right, I'm going to chew on that. I'm going to consider that. I read something else. Verse for the day. I read it. I'm going to keep chewing on it. I'm going to keep savoring that. I'm going to be praying that. I'm going to be sharing. You know, what, what is the church to be but a community of people who are feasting on the Lord. Here's what I tasted this week. Try this. Well, oh, yeah, that, what about that? Just enjoying God's Word together. Not trying to win any competitions, but coming to Him. Keep, keep savouring the flavour of God, of fellowship with God in His Word. Something we've been... Uh, on Tuesdays we have staff meetings and uh, we've got some interns with us uh, at the start of September. And as a bit of a joke really, we've been uh, uh, coming up with taglines. City Church Sheffield, each week has its own tagline. What do you think our tagline should be? City Church Sheffield, home of spiritual Nibblers. City Church Sheffield. Church for the mildly interested. Those aren't getting my vote, by the way. Uh, City Church Sheffield. Delighting in God, feasting on Jesus. Coming to him again and again and again, delighted in who he is. City Church Sheffield, believing in his achievement. Not getting kind of focused on what I have or haven't done, on his performance, on all that he has done. We're not going to get to heaven and to say, "Look at us, aren't we amazing?" We're going to get to glory and say, "Look at him." Isn't he wonderful? Our message to the world is not, look what City Church has done. Our message to the city is, look at our wonderful Saviour and how good he is. You can know him and he can change your life. All because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're going to worship. I'm going to pray. See what happens after that.